as we are in just a few moments, we're going to get to Matthew chapter 1. So if you are in, would like to open your Bibles to that, that's where we'll be. If not, it'll certainly be on the screen uh, in front of you. Before we do that, a couple things I want to say. Uh, one, want to uh, again kind of um, explain a little bit of our Christmas Eve worship schedule. Uh, Christmas Eve day and, and evening. We're going to have four worship services that day as it's on a Sunday. So we're going to have one morning service at 10 o'clock and three evening services at 4, 6, and 8. Now all the services are going to be fairly similar. They're going to be more traditional Christmas Eve style services. So even though it's a 10 o'clock service on the morning, it's not necessarily a contemporary service. They'll be similar to the, to the evening services. Uh, the difference is that at 10 o'clock, we're going to do a communion service. So we'll serve communion in the morning. And then at the 4, 6, and 8 o'clock, it will be a traditional candlelight service. So that is really the, uh, the significant difference. The message is the same at all the services. Again, let me affirm, the message is the same at all. You are welcome to come to more than one. However, you will hear the same message. So no smart aleck comments about, hey, I heard that this morning. Yes, you did, and I told you in advance. So that is the significant difference. But again, 10, 4, 6, and 8, and, and many of you know our Christmas Eve services are so packed. We're kind of hoping this will um, spread out our attendance a little over the course of the day. And we want to be full, but, you know, we've had, you know, pouring out the doors in years past, which is a great thing to have, but we'd like to be able to try to get everybody in uh, for those services. So again, 10, 4, 6, and 8 on Christmas Eve. The other thing I want to say uh, this morning is just a word of thanks to everybody that participated in, in any way with the Living Nativity this weekend. It was a wonderful weekend. We, we fought the weather. We, we kind of got it in Friday night just before the rains came. And we dealt with the wind on Friday, and then last night most of us froze. Um, most of us, especially the Floridians, and I consider myself as such, we, we kind of gutted through it. But, uh, but it really was wonderful, and I thank everybody who was a part of that, each of you that played a part, whether it was from making cookies to, to being in the, in the, the drama and, and the production, if you will. Uh, and so many folks worked really, really hard. It's, it's always dangerous to, to start to single some people out, but I want to do that. Uh, and I don't believe that they're in here this service, but I want you to know, and if you've enjoyed the Living Nativity, being a part of it or coming to see it, I really encourage you to say a word of appreciation to Joe and Julie McNaughton when you see Joe and Julie. They work so hard to bring all of the pieces together, and uh, they carry a lot of the stress of bringing that all together. It looks wonderful on Friday and Saturday night, but the work that goes into making that all happen. And, and, and so many people do such a good job, and, and our youth do such a great job with that. Um, but it's Joe and Julie that really are the catalyst for all of that. So if you see them later this morning, uh, just let them know how much you appreciate their work and what they did. And we, uh, we recognize that. And it, like I said, it was wonderful. And thank you all to, to be a part of that. So I want to share that. And then the last little thing, I just want to point out that we're having a little birthday celebration weekend. It is Chuck's 70th birthday yesterday. So we, if you, if you saw him come in with his cane, that was one of his gifts this morning. So, uh, so happy birthday to you, to you, Chuck. So, so those are just some of the things that, uh, that are going on and, and that it will be going on. So. Let's, let's uh, turn this morning, let's start with our scripture. 
Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 24, part of the, the familiar for many of us uh, Christmas story, part of Matthew's uh, account of, of the Christmas story. And so let's, let's read these words this morning. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate the marriage, their marriage until she gave birth to a son and gave him the name Jesus. Friends and sisters, we pray here God's blessing on the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, that you would speak into our lives in these moments as we celebrate this story, the birth of your Son, and, and what that means for us. Speak your truth, your promise, your hope into our lives, and Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts to receive the good news of Christmas and your story. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. So the song, the last song the, the praise band did, started with that scene that many of us know very well from the Peanuts Christmas special. It's, I think, goes back to the 60s, and it airs every year. It's one of those traditional Christmas um, movies and, and shows that so many of us see year in and year out. And part of the, the significance, I think, of that, that, that special is that scene that we see with Linus reciting the account from the Gospel of Luke of the birth of Jesus, which is rare these days that you're going to have any kind of a television show that's going to, to be filled with that much direct quoting from Scripture. And that's part of the, the, the joy of, of that, um, that Christmas special. But I don't know if you remember it well enough to know the question that Linus was responding to before he began his monologue. And that was this, and, and if you know, you know the Peanuts, Charlie Brown's always in some sort of crisis. And, and in this one, he's in this crisis because he bought the wrong pitiful little Christmas tree. And he's getting kind of rided and derided by, by the gang there. And he cries out that he doesn't know the meaning of Christmas. And his question is, doesn't anyone know the meaning of Christmas or what Christmas is all about. And that is the question and the, the proclamation, if you will, that Linus responds to. I, I know. And let me tell you. And he, and he shares that story from the Gospel of Luke. Because the Gospels, Luke and Matthew, ground us in the why. G.K. Chesterton, British poet, theologian, known for his eloquent words, his, his genius in so many ways, was, was just 
revered uh, in, in so many circles for his intellect. But, but he also became known for something else. He became known as incredibly absent-minded. Just, just one of those guys, we've all known those geniuses on one end of the spectrum who can't keep their shoes tied on the other end. You know, those kind of, those kind of personalities. That was G.K. Chesterton. And he became um, known for getting lost. He would forget where he was going. He would forget where he was supposed to be and, and would just kind of end up not remembering what his destination was. And, and on one day, he found himself lost there in, in London, and, and he ended up at Market Harborough, and he sent a telegram to his wife, and he said, where ought I to be? Where ought I to be? And in a typical wife fashion, she responded with one word, home. <laughs> home. And, and I think of that story when I think about what the scriptures do. What Matthew and Luke does, especially Matthew this morning, is he brings us home. Because we can get lost at this time of year and a lot of the things that are going on, I talk about this all the time, a lot of the activities and the busyness and the, the celebrations of Christmas, we can find ourselves absent-minded, forgetting what this story and what the celebration and why this is for us a holy day. And what Matthew does is he brings us home. He brings us home to the, to the heart of Christmas. He brings us home to the meaning of Christmas. He brings us home to the promise of God in Christmas. And it is this announcement of the birth of Christ. It is this announcement that the angel gives to Mary and then to Joseph of the impending birth of the Son of God. And it is this name that is given. For when the gospel writer Matthew, when he wants to bring home what Christmas is all about, he goes back to the prophet Isaiah and he dusts off this word that, that probably was not used frequently. And that word becomes the name given the child. And that name is Emmanuel. Emmanuel, the, the name we sing about, O come, O come, Emmanuel. And that means God with us. And when Matthew wants us to understand the heart, the home of Christmas, the, the, the core of our faith, it's celebrated at Christmas, it is in this title, God with us. This is the story of God moving into the neighborhood. You know, there are, there are the, 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 the heroes of the faith that exemplify that kind of understanding throughout the scriptures that God was with them in a powerful and a real way. The, the men and women that stepped into to the unknown, believing God would be with them. Men and women like Moses, who stands at the sea and holds his hands for God to part the way for the people. Uh, men like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who willingly step into the fire, not knowing that God will protect them, but knowing that God is with them regardless of the outcome. Men like Daniel, who step into the lion's den. David, who faces the giant. We could go on and on and on. These stories of the heroes of faith who lived in such a way that testified they believed God was with them. But the power of Christmas is that it reminds us that that truth is not just for the heroes, the men and women that we put on pedestals, but it's the truth for each of us. There's no qualifier there. It's not God with some. It's God with all, God with us, into the neighborhood. In 2000, a writer by the name of Peter Lovenheim, and I've, I've told this story before. Some of you may remember it. 
But Peter Levenheim was startled walking down the na- his neighborhood street one day to see police cars and an ambulance out front in one of the homes. What had happened is, it was tragic, that a husband had killed his wife and then killed himself. Two children that had ran for fear of their lives that had gotten out of the home. And this horrible tragedy had taken place. And as he's kind of watching this scene unfold, he realizes, though they live on the same street and, and not many houses apart, that he really knows nothing about this family and certainly so no signs of any trouble or, or turmoil. And as he thought more about that, he realized that that was true for many of the people that lived on the street. He knew nothing about them. And a few weeks later, the for sale sign went out in front of that house. And he just realized that while this was a tragedy and and people were saddened at the news, that it really hadn't changed life for anybody. A family was now gone from this neighborhood, but, but life went on for everyone else. And he started to wonder, do we live in a community or do we just live in houses that happen to be in close proximity to each other? And so he set out and made it his mission to get to know his neighbors. And he did it in a unique and an odd way, at least odd for many of us. He started asking his neighbors if he could spend the night. His daughter said, Dad, you are crazy. But what he found was many of the neighbors allowed him to spend the night. And in those sleepovers, he got to know their stories. And in fact, so much so that he wrote a book about it called In the Neighborhood, the, the, the Making of a Community, One Sleepover at a Time. Because there's power in that kind of connection. I mean, there's few moments that are more personal than when you're sitting around a living room in your pajamas with someone else. And he got to know by being present in their lives. Well, in a far more profound way, that's what Christmas is. That's God coming to be with us in a profound and a deeply intimate and a personal way. Bridging that chasm between God here and, and us here, but, but, but not even bridging the chasm, but coming, coming down to us. There, there's a song the um, Gaither vocal band used to sing. I remember from my childhood, and the chorus went, He came down to my level when I couldn't get up to his. With a strong arm, he lifted me up to show me what living is. And that's what God does. He comes down to our level. God with us. Because the, the truth is, we know the theological power of, uh, and the truth of saying that God is everywhere. But, but what is most personal to us is to believe that God is where I am. That God is, God is with me in the midst of, of the stuff that, that I experience. God is with you in the midst of the stuff you experience. God can know and hear all things, but does God hear me? And Christ is God's affirmation, Yes. His absolute affirmation, yes. And when we begin to look at the Gospels, we see the the implication of what God with us means. What that looks like in our lives, because we see time and time again where God steps into the stories of people in their places of need. And those places of need we can identify with. We are familiar with because we see a pattern that Jesus establishes in his earthly ministry that is still true today. That in our times of, of need and struggle, God is with us. And so we find places where God steps into our story. Places, for instance, when we find ourselves lonely. 
You know, we, we talk so much, and, and I'm guilty of this, we talk so much of this joyous, happy, celebratory time of the year, and it is in so many ways. But for some, maybe for you, this is a very difficult time of year. There's, there is um, those who are experiencing loss and pain and hurt and, and loneliness. This can be one of the loneliest times of the year. And the truth is that we all probably at some point experience loneliness at different degrees and different circumstances. But, but most of us, I think, know what it's like to be lonely, even in a crowd of people. I remember the first profound experience of loneliness of my life that I can remember happened in the eighth grade. We had just moved from Jacksonville to Hudson, where my dad was serving. I was the new kid in the new school. And very early in that year, I went on a trip with classmates down to uh, the Keys, down to Sea Camp. But I can remember being on that bus and realizing I didn't know anybody. And, and getting down to where we were staying and bunking and laying in bed that first night, and it was the loneliest experience I had ever had up until that point in my life. Because I was surrounded by people joking, laughing, playing, and I felt so isolated and so disconnected and so lonely. In fact, I can still feel the emotion of that night. It was so impactful in, in not so positive ways, but I remember it so powerfully. And, and I did the only thing I knew to do. I just prayed. And that prayer reminded me of something. It didn't make it easy right away. It was still lonely and it was still hard. But it reminded me of this very promise that though I was lonely, I was not alone. That God was with me. And that becomes the promise of our faith, and God begins to bind us together. And that story ended okay. Uh, you know, it was a rough journey for a while, but I eventually connected and got past some of those experiences. But, but that's really not the point, because it was the reminder that God was with me in the midst of the experience. That's what God does. And, and the scriptures show us that over and over again. In John chapter 4, Jesus goes to a well to draw water in Samaria at noon which is a time when people didn't go to the well to draw water, but he knew who would be there. It would be a lone woman in the midst of a community who was isolated and outcast, who probably knew powerfully what it felt to be lonely in the midst of a large crowd. And Jesus met her there, and he met her intentionally, and he met her in her place of need, and he offered her a connection to God, the living water. He meets us in our place of loneliness. We see that in the Gospels, God with us. God meets us in our place of sorrow. And those places when our hearts break and we feel that sense of loss for whatever reason, God meets us there. The same way he met two sisters named Mary and Martha in the midst of their loss and a brother Lazarus and offers them words of hope. I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, though they die, yet shall they live. It's the words of comfort and hope that Jesus speaks into the midst of grief and sorrow. And that's the way God still meets us. God with us in our loneliness, in our sorrow, and in our fear. And this is the universal truth. I'm going to wager nothing on <laughs> but my confidence that everybody here knows what it's like to feel afraid. 
We all know what it's like to feel afraid from the time that we're children and we fear going to school or, or as we grow older we feel tests or we fear tests and exams and, and things that will measure our progress and, and some artificial sense of, of worth and intellect, uh, relationships, what other people will think about us, our jobs, our financial security, our health, the health of loved ones. There's just moments over and over in life that we face fear, which is why Jesus and, and the scriptures constantly speak those words words, do not be afraid. Do not, not be anxious. Because it's hard, because we constantly fear moments, or we face moments in life when we face fear, and we fear anxiousness. And I think about those disciples on the Sea of Galilee, when Jesus was in the boat with them. If you remember the story, it's in John 4, it's in Matthew 8, it's in Luke 8. Jesus goes to sleep. And remember, the storms came, the winds and the rains, and the boat rocked. And boy, if we can't identify that either literally or figuratively. And they were afraid. And they woke Jesus up. And remember the question they asked him, don't you care? Don't you care if we drown? And what happened is their fear was birthed out of the same thing that births my fear too often, is they forgot who was in the boat with them. They forgot the promise. God with us. And of course, Jesus reminded them by calming the wind and calming the rains and raising their anxiety a little bit more because then they weren't sure how he could do that. But the point was, his question about their faith was, don't you remember who's with you? Who's with you? That's the promise of faith, that God is with us. There, a year ago, one year ago this month, uh, you may have remembered reading a story about a high school outside Atlanta, Georgia, uh, Bremen High School, and they were under a tornado watch. And so they, they gathered in the halls, and, and they hunkered down as the winds and the rains came, and for 45 minutes they sat there, and the longer they sat there, the more their anxiety began to raise. And finally, some of the students began to sing. But they began to sing a song that might not have been the first you would have guessed. They began to sing, Mary, Did You Know? And as they sang, the anxiety lessened. Now, they were no less of a risk. But it was like somebody said, don't forget who's here with us. And in fact, one, I don't know if it was a teacher or a student on their Facebook page was quoted as saying, all of a sudden, we calmed. And we knew we'd be okay. Because we remembered God's baby boy had this. God's baby boy had this. We, so often, in our journey, in our faith, in our walk, need to remember that promise. God with us. No matter what we face, no matter where we are, we don't face it alone. Because God's promise. The, the gospel is bookended by these promises. Matthew 1 has this promise, God with us. Remember Matthew 28, the very end of Matthew 28, what does Jesus says? He said to his disciples, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He wants them to understand that his physical departure no less or in no way severs the connection and his presence. That's the gift of the Holy Spirit. I believe that's part of the reason they felt so much joy at the resurrection is they recognized that Jesus had overcome the one thing that they thought separated him from them, and that was death. There was no more separation. And that's still our promise. He's not with us physically, but he is with us. No less now than he was 2,000 years ago with Peter, James, and John. That becomes the promise of our faith. And we never outgrow that. 
I get such a kick in the living nativity in the, in the last scene because I'm there with the, the, the young Jesuses, if you've gone through the, 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 the toddler Jesuses or the, you know, the four and five-year-old Jesuses that play that last scene for us. And um, we, we take a little liberty with the story. And we laugh about this because Joseph was a poor Jewish carpenter. Uh, Mary, they, they didn't have a whole lot. But in that scene, we've added an extra character. Uh, she doesn't speak, but she's there. And it is the servant girl. If, you, if you've been through the living nativity, there's Jesus and there's Mary and Joseph and there's the wise men and there's a servant girl. And you think, why would we have a servant girl? Well, the servant girl is very, very important because the servant girl is always the mother of whoever is the young Jesus. <laughs> and so... And I know Lauren's laughing because Lauren's been our servant girl in years past. We keep mama close by. And so I'm watching at the nativity this year. And, and um, Owen and Aiden uh, Schultes, who are our alternating Jesuses. And repeatedly throughout the scenes, I would just notice, sometimes verbally, but sometimes with their look, they would just look back to make sure mama was there. And between scenes, as soon as the scene ended, they went straight to mom. Or if not mom, it was dad, who was a wise man in one of the scenes, they'd go straight because they needed to know and be reminded that mama or daddy was there. Here's the thing. We don't outgrow that need. We hide it, but we don't outgrow that need of knowing that our papa's there. Father, Abba. And that's what Jesus is the promise. He's there. God with us. Wherever you are today, whatever struggles or joys you find yourself in, remember, this is what it's all about. God with us. That's a promise for you. That's a promise for me. And brothers and sisters, that's the heart of Christmas. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for the promise of, of faith, the promise of presence, Emmanuel. May that strengthen us in our journey, comfort us in our need, empower us in our service, that you are with us. That is the heart of Christmas. In all things, we give you praise and glory. In Christ's holy name, amen. And amen. And as we come to communion, friends, that's, that's what we celebrate. That's what Jesus gives to the disciples. That's what Jesus gives to us. He gives us a meal, which is a meal of remembrance. But it's a meal that reminds us that we remember that the power of Christ is still at work in and through us. That he is still present with us. When we come to this meal, we come into the presence of Christ. When we receive this meal, we receive the work, the Holy Spirit, the power of Christ at work within us. He is with us. And he knew those disciples would need it, and he knows we need it. It's our food for the journey. And so we remember that on the night in which he gave himself up for us, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he gave thanks to God and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat all of you. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks to God and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take and drink all of you. This is my blood of a new covenant. It is poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Friends, let us pray. Gracious Lord, we do remember. We remember the sacrifice of your life. We re remember the gift that we've been given through your death and resurrection. And that we are washed clean by the blood of Jesus. And we remember that we're called to be the body. To go forth and to serve and to live your love. And we remember that you are with us in every step of the journey. 
empowering us to faithfulness and obedience all the days of our lives. And we pray that we would be faithful to that by your strength at work within us until the day comes that our time on this earth has ended and we step forever into your heavenly kingdom. We give you all glory. We give you all praise, Lord, now and forever. Amen and amen. I invite now our communion servers to come and to take their places at each of the stations. And again, if you're a guest here today, know that we celebrate an open table. As we continue to worship, you're invited, if you so desire, to come and to receive communion, to receive by intention, to, to receive the bread and to dip it into the juice and thereby receive the, the body and blood of Christ. And after you have received the uh, tables, have baskets for prayer cards or for an offering, the altar is open for prayer, or you may simply remain where you are, return to your seat for reflection. But this is Christ's table. And then if for any reason you're unable to come forward, uh, please just get the attention of our service. We will bring communion to you. But this is Christ's gift. It reminds us of his presence with us, God with us. It's his table. He's made it ready. You are invited now, friends, to come and to receive.
Joy to 